You know, mothering is a job that doesn't have an hourly schedule. There is no clock in and clock out. It has to be on the scale, the hardest job. And I would dare to say that it's even a job. I would actually say that it is a calling because you can birth a child and still not be a mother. Any woman can birth a child, but someone who is called is a mother. And there's a difference. And this weekend, we, we thank God for those who love, who mother, mentor us. I've had different mamas in the church. If you grew up in church, how many had some mamas in the church? They weren't blood to you, but they would whip you like they were. That's those church mamas. And I know Mother's Day can mean different things for different women. Some are celebrating the blessing of children today, those little heathens that they are. Some are grieving the loss of them. Some have watched their children grow up and leave their home and start families. Empty nesting has already set in. Some of them are about to graduate and leave, and I won't make you start crying, mamas, but I know that's coming while some are longing for that moment to start a family. Some are celebrating their mom today who may be sitting right next to them or they, maybe they've already had that phone call and some are missing their own who is no longer with them. Today is a special day though. But for some, it's also dreadful. But today I want us to honor all the moms who are who were and are soon to be because we love you. We are grateful for you. If you're a mother in the house, why don't you stand to your feet? We want to recognize and honor you. Every mom in the house, every grandmother. Come on, look at all these moms. Look at that. We love you, moms. You're doing a great job. And maybe you haven't heard that in a while, but you're doing a killer job. The parts that, nope, don't sit down yet. I'm not done saying what I want to say. I mean, if you don't want to receive it, you can sit down. But in the times when nobody sees what you're doing, and the times when you're the one up early or the one going down late or the one up in the middle of the night, and the times when your kids take you for granted and they say things to you that they really don't mean, and the times when you feel like Am I even doing this right? Because I'm losing my mind and my hair all at the same time. It must be connected. But I want you to know you're doing one heck of a job. And it's because of you that we get to be the men and women that we are today because you teach us, you instruct us, and you whip us when we need it. So we love you. Happy Mother's Day. Come on, give it up for all of our moms one more time. We love you. You can be seated. You can be seated. Sorry. <laughs> Somebody like, I wasn't sitting down yet. How many ready to hear the word this morning? Several weeks ago, I, uh, I preached on a topic about doubts. And uh, it was actually Easter Sunday. 
And uh, I told you I was going to continue that, that conversation. If I can get this lid on this dadgum water. I told you I was going to continue that conversation, and we've had thing after thing, and I haven't had the chance to, but I wanted to jump back into it today to talk a little bit more about it because if we're honest, keep playing for me until I pray. I'm not done yet. Many of us face, face doubts, and we find ourselves doubting God oftentimes. Hey, keep playing, Ray. Ray, keep playing. <laughs> keep playing. If I say, come on, Ray. It helps me get into my sermon a little bit better. I'm a musician, so I need music. It's like David when he say, bring me the harpist. Why? Because music can do something for your soul. Jesus gave us music to worship him. Sometimes we just got to sit and listen to music and, and it can minister to us. Sometimes we have to sing music and it ministers to us. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So some of us that sit and worship, this ain't even my sermon, but this may be for someone today. Sometimes we sit and worship and we don't say nothing and we don't do nothing, but hearing come, faith comes by hearing, not by thinking. So sometimes you have to elevate your level of thought by using this so this can hear it to build you up in your faith. Well, I don't feel good today. Worship Jesus with your mouth. Well, I, I'm not feeling it today. I don't care if you're feeling it or not. That doesn't make him any less worthy or any less glory, any less powerful. Sometimes we have to worship through our doubt, worship through our fear. All right. But many people find, we find ourselves doubting God. And honestly, I get it. I've had several times in my life where I have found myself doubting and doubting God. But I have found that more often than doubting God, the more I think about it, the more I've thought about it, truthfully, I was more so doubting myself more than I was doubting God. Because I know the me that nobody sees. I, I, I know the voice in my head that I'm glad that no one else can hear. Am I alone here today? Like, I... Like I I, the, the insecurities, the, the critical thoughts that, that go on, the times when, when I dislike myself. Some, sometimes it can be as small as I didn't like what I said. Sometimes it can be where I, I don't like how I said it or, or what I did or what I didn't do. And worst of all, I know that God knows all my flaws, knows all my faults. It was all my failures. And I know he loves me, but I can't imagine why he'd use me. So if you've ever felt insecure, if you've ever felt inadequate or not enough, insufficient maybe, and this message is for you. I want you to turn with me to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. We're going to start in verse 13 today. This is David talking. He says this. 
He says, you, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. I think that right there is the example of how we should start every prayer. Thank you, God. I think too often we can come to God with our requests before we come with our gratitude. I tell our kids all the time, before you say, God, help us with this and give me this. Or I said, you need to say, God, thank you for what you've given me. Whether big or small in my eyes, you have given it to me. Thank you. But David says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, especially our women and mothers in the house. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and I, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. And I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. You are still with me. I want to talk to you today and preach from the title, Battling Insecurity. Battling Insecurity. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for every mother in the house, every person under the sound of my voice, watching from the other side of a screen. God, we come to you today not to just say we came to church or because our mother drug us here. But God, we came because you have a divine appointment with us today. You have a word that you want to speak into our hearts and into our lives to help us in the purpose and the calling that you have set before us. God, we just read it. Your word says that you knit us in our mother's womb, that you recorded every single day before it was even born. We were even born in your book, that every day is numbered and you have a plan for every single day. It's already been recorded. It's already been planned out. It's already been designed before a day that we were ever born or breathed our first breath because that's how much you love us. That's how much you care for us. So, Father, I pray that we would lean in and press into your word, your holy word, the word that is the truth the truth that can set us free. And so today, God, as we press into your presence, I pray, Lord, that you would saturate us in our hearts and our minds, that you would saturate our soul with your presence, Lord, that we would receive a refreshing from you today, that we would receive your fresh anointing on our life, that we would not walk out of here the same person that we stepped into this place, that we would not walk away from a screen watching this today being the same person, but God, that we would be transformed and renewed today by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Ray. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt completely insecure or inadequate? Anybody ever, ever had a moment like that? Some of y'all like, can I raise every finger, hand, and toe? I, I have many times in my life where I have battled, and I, I still to this day, I'll battle insecurity, I'll battle 
feeling unqualified. I, it's just a thing. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us in this room face it today, whether we want to admit it or not. But I remember a moment in college, and I've shared this before, but I felt it was relevant today. I, I, I was following the plan that God had for my life. I'd ran from it for so long, but God finally got a hold of my heart, and he used my father to do it. And uh, I can tell you where we were sitting when all that kind of came to fruition at Cheddar's Restaurant here in this town with my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife and mother of our four children. And my dad said something that I had told him in private that I wasn't ready to tell her yet. Um, funny how dads like to do that. Um, love you, Dad. Um, but anyway, I, that, that happened. I, I decided, you know, I felt like God was saying, I want you to go to Bible college. I want you to go dive into ministry and whatever that may look like. And I didn't know what the outcome would be. I didn't know what the next step after that was going to be. I just knew God said go. And I felt a lot of like, a lot like Abraham when God said, go to a land, I'll show you. And I left. I literally withdrew from school. I got married. Three weeks later, we moved. Not, we didn't get married in three weeks. Like we got married. It was like a six or seven month engagement or whatever it was and eight month engagement. And we got married. Three weeks later, we moved to Australia. We went to college and I didn't know what I was doing there. I was I was terrified. Honestly, when I sat down at the administrative office, they said, okay, what pathway do you want to pick? And I said, well, I pick pastoral leadership. And they said, okay, great, but you need to pick a stream. I said, okay, what do you mean? I said, what's something new? We need to pick a a, a different class, you know, kids, youth, social justice, pastoral care. And I was like, "Uh, youth sounds fun. And they laughed. They did. And it was like, the chuckle was like, he ain't going to make it. I was already feeling insecure. I was already feeling inadequate, already feeling insufficient of why I was even there. I didn't feel qualified to even stand in the room with some of those people. And um, as I was going through the courses one year that we had a a communication course and I had told myself and I told my father years ago, I would never stand on a stage and hold a microphone. I would never do it. I I was a musician. I I played drums. I still do to this day. I don't do it much anymore because we got an amazing team and if I do that and this, I'll be really hot and sweaty, and I didn't want that to happen often. Um, but I, I, I knew what God was calling me to do, and, and so, but I was terrified. I had all of these insecurities, and, and this communication class, we were supposed to prepare a, a mini-sermon where we would break open Scripture, and we would, we would learn how to do all this kind of stuff where you, how to extrapolate Scripture and pull it apart and, and how to write a sermon and put an outline together and present it to your class. And you present it in front of your whole class, and then your teacher, your professor would then go to critique you in front of the entire class. This happened for everybody. So it was very, very um, 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 uh, challenging in nature, the whole leadership course. It, was no, it wasn't no like, like wusses walking around. Like you, you had to stand up and just take it and you learn and you grew. And that's the way of leadership I like anyway. Just tell me like it is. Let's go and let's brunt it like football and we'll just hit it and go for it. As I delivered my message, I was already insecure about it. As I got done, I stood there waiting to hear something. And the first words that came out of my professor's mouth was, you'll never be a preacher. Already feeling inadequate, already feeling insufficient. He said a few other things, and I nodded my head. The room was silent. I went and sat at my seat. I looked at my wife. We were taking the course together, and I was like, what now? But obviously, God had something else in mind. I didn't know it, but God used that moment to be a catalyst and 
two and a half months later, I would be back on the ground, back here in College Station, leading our youth ministry. And two weeks of prepping, um, I delivered my very first sermon on a summer camp night, and I talked about unity. I still have, I don't know why I'm wanting to cry now. I still have those sermon notes handwritten to this day. Never thought it would be possible. And truthfully, I would say that most of us battle feelings of insecurity. At some point in our life, in some area, we battle insecurity, feeling inadequate. We often think if God wants something done, surely he can find somebody else that's way better than me. We often can think that we can often feel like, like I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't feel prepared to share my faith. Like, like, I don't feel comfortable praying out loud, much less leading a small group. And this church is all they talk about. I don't read the Bible every day. I still cuss occasionally. I'm not saying I do. I'm saying this is what you're saying. <clears throat> I lose my temper. I drink more than I should. You, you, you know what you've done wrong. You, you know who you've hurt. You know how you've fallen short. And we often think after what I've done, why would God ever use me? But can I remind you today that God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you? Why don't you just look at your neighbor and tell them that today? Say, hey, say, hey, neighbor. No, 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 no. Come on. Tell them with, with a voice of confidence. Say, hey, neighbor. God knew what he was doing when he made you. Now turn to your second best choice and look them in the eye real awkwardly. Come on. Don't look at me. Look at them. Look them in the eye and say, hey, neighbor. God knew what he was doing when he made you. And you just say, amen. Somebody needs to hear that today. Matter of fact, I want to point you to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul was writing, and, and I want to kind of break this down a little bit more today. It says, for we are God's, what? Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. As you study scripture, and if, as if you were to look into this passage in the original Greek and you were to look up this word masterpiece. I want to kind of lean in on that for a moment because this, this original word in Greek is called poyame or poyama. And it, what its literal definition means a creation with a designated purpose. A workmanship. A masterpiece. And I came to remind every one of you today this, that you are God's poetic statement that you were beautifully and wonderfully made, that you were custom designed, a masterpiece, tailor-made by the master's hand, that God gave you the right personality. He gave you the right gifts. He gave you the right temperament, even though your husband says you're a little bit crazy. You were born at the right time to do good works, that he planned your life out before a day that you were ever born, that she set you on this earth for such a time as this, that you have meaning, you have purpose, that you were created in the image of God. And I got to tell you that when the devil tells you that God can't use you, 
that you're a mess, you need to learn to shout back at the devil and say, I may be a mess because we are all a mess. I may be a mess, but I'm God's masterpiece and he's going to use this mess to bring his message. Some of y'all got to get a little crazy with the devil when he wants to shout at you. You got to learn to shout back. Somebody say shout back. Say God's going to use this mess. I know I'm extra like the guacamole at Chipotle. I'm extra. I already know Chipotle worker. I said I want guacamole. So I want to talk a little bit about who does God most often use? I want to show you in different places in Scripture of who God most often uses. And as you look carefully, there are three types of people that God chooses to do his will. And the first one is, and I want you to write this down, is that God uses the unlikely. In 1 Samuel 16, God told the prophet Samuel to appoint a new king of Israel. And as you read that, that scripture, I'm going to read a little bit of it today. As you get to this point in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel is, is, is gone out. He's Jesse, the father, um, he's being chosen to be one of his sons. And God was, was using Samuel to be an instrument to, to anoint a new king. Saul was king at the time. If you, you got to go read the whole story about Saul and David and all these things. But, but when, when the prophet Samuel gets to where he's going, where Jesse is, the father, verse six picks up. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, which was one of the sons and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, so what are we seeing? We're seeing that that God is looking for the qualities that most people overlook. That one by one, Samuel went down son after son, and he's like, this one, God? He's like, nope, pass. This one, God? Nope, pass. This one, God? Nope. Seven sons go through, and he gets to the thing where he's looking at all of them, and he's like, well, they all look the part. According to the world standards, they would be adequate. If Eliab and all the other sons had physique and they were tall, dark and handsome, they, they had all the attributes that you would see in a nice king. He had the stature, but God said no. And by the time they get down to the seventh son, Samuel's ready to give up. Like he don't know what to do. He's like, um, Jesse, do you by chance have any more sons? Because God's told me no on all the others. Father Jesse's like, oh, yeah, there is one more. He's the youngest, though. He's just a he's just a junior shepherd. He's out in the fields. He's tending the sheep like and he's like, bring him. We'll, we'll wait. Bring him in. Like, like, we'll wait. Like it says they feasted for a while like this. Who knows how far David was? But, but David shows up, and David, who was the least likely, when David, as soon as he stepped on the scene, God said, that's the one I choose. And I came to preach to some people today that you've been overlooked. You've been doubted. You've been looked at as not an option. And God is saying to you today, I don't look at what man looks at. I have a different qualification that I go by. 
For those of you who have been tending the sheep, who have been faithful to what God has told you to do and what God has given you, while everyone else was getting the promotion, while everybody else was being selected, God is saying, I have been holding you to the side for just the right time. That all the other opportunities that came and gone, all the other promotions, they weren't for you. So stop sucking, sulking over what I didn't give you that wasn't yours. Because what they got can't touch what I want to give you. It wasn't for you. That promotion wasn't for you. You thought it was. That blessing was not your blessing. So stop taking somebody else's blessing. And stop getting mad at somebody else's blessing. That's their blessing. Because, okay, take their blessing, but miss out on the one that you were supposed to have. Some of y'all taking the penny when God's trying to give you a hundred. Because you want it now. God is taking so long. Just wait. Saul was king in a week. Look what happened. He went insane. He was not prepared for it. David waited 22 years. 22 years he waited to become king. He was anointed as a, as a teenage son and waited 22 years before he stepped into his throne room. Sometimes God, it ain't about you. It's about what God's timing. And then sometimes it is about you because you need the integrity. You need the character. God says, I got to do something in you because you won't be able to withstand what I want to give you, even in the blessings. Sometimes we can't even withstand the blessings because we're not prepared to receive them. We wanted them too early and our capacity can't handle them. So stop sulking over what's not yours. Start waiting for what God wants to give you. God uses the unlikely. He uses the unlikely. Another one who God most often uses is he uses the unlikely. God also uses the insecure. Write that down. God uses the insecure. In the book of Judges, after the Israelites had sinned, God gave them over to the hands of the Midianites. And there was this guy named Gideon. Have you ever heard the story of Gideon? I'm not going to like read it all to you today. You just need to go read it, the story of Gideon. But Gideon was, was, was very insecure. He was afraid. He was, he was hiding. And an angel appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Like God has chosen you to rescue the Israel, to rescue Israel from the Midianites. And, and, and what's crazy is Gideon's response is like, you talking about me? Like, no, nah, God, you, you must be drinking that special wine or something up there in heaven. You, it can't be me. And Gideon started to allow his insecurities to bring doubt. But I wanted to tell you today, stop letting your insecurities be louder than God's affirmations. When God calls you, he'll stir you. He'll, 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 he'll move you to do something that's uncomfortable, something that you cannot handle on your own. He'll call you to do things like serve in church. You're like, what in the world was that? Serve in church and use my gift. Well, I can't, I can't. They got it. It looks great to me. But everybody has a gift. And without your gift, the body cannot function to its proper function. He may call you to, to share your faith. 
what in the world? Yeah, that person you wanted to flip off on the road. Maybe he wanted you to pull over with them and pray for them. You wanted to shoot them the bird and he said, shoot them the word. He may have called you to be a witness in your school or your workplace. Do your work, co-make, work, worker, make, co whatever they're called, co-workers. Do they even know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Or do they go, oh, you go to church? I didn't know that. If that's the response you get, then you've got some self-reflection to do after church today. You see, Gideon was hiding in a wine press Threshing wheat. Like, they, think about that for a minute. He was doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. And I believe that God is calling out to some of you who you, you've been doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. And I want to tell you, just like his word said to Gideon, that God's word for you today is the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. To stop threshing wheat in a wine press when I've called you to yield your sword and lead my army. That is God's word. You've got to know that whenever God calls you, the devil's going to try to stop you. He's going to form attacks against you. And here's the thing that I've learned. One of his greatest tools is to attack your self-worth. If he can get into your mind and he can make you insecure and he can make you feel like, like nobody loves me. God, nobody likes me. He'll start to say things like, who do you think you are? You, do you think you can do that? You're not ready. You, you're not worthy of that. You're not, you're not good enough. That's why you didn't get the promotion. You, you, you want to be a dad? <laughs> you ain't ready. I want you to think about it. If, if God didn't want to use you, then the devil wouldn't be fighting so hard to fight against you. Some of us, we, we cry out to God during the resistance, but the resistance is what gives us strength. And here's the thing. You may not have a lot of confidence in yourself. Can I tell you? Good. Good. Because if you understand the word confidence, it comes from the Latin word confide. And if you were to break that word down in its two separate meanings, con means with, fide means faith. So having confidence doesn't mean that you believe in you. Having confidence means you believe in the one who is, can supersede who you are. And it's not about having, having a confidence in, in you. It's about having confidence in who God says you are. Real confidence is when you put your faith in what God says about you, not what you say about you. Gideon was saying, I am the least likely. But Gideon was about to learn that God often uses the insecure to do his good work. The third type of person that God most often uses, he uses the unlikely, he uses the insecure. God also uses failures. I'm not talking about like you made a failure. I'm talking about you are a failure. You see, one of the most probably emotional stories in the Bible was right after Jesus was arrested. And he was taken before the high priest and Peter, one of his main men of disciples. He was one of the three. God had told him something. And, and Peter, while this was all going on, Peter sat down by a fire and a little girl pointed at Peter and said, hey, this guy was with Jesus. 
And we pick up this story in Luke chapter 22. This little girl calls out to him. This is actually the third time that this happened. And Peter had denied Jesus and he had denied Jesus. And then this third time, this little girl says, hey, he was with Jesus. And this is what Peter said. Peter replied in verse 60, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine Jesus like in the courtroom and you deny and he goes, I told you. Imagine the feeling. It says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times is what Jesus says. And it says he went outside and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Mad at himself. Have you ever blown it? Like big time. Like you jacked it all up. And now you're embarrassed about it and you're ashamed and you feel unworthy. Maybe it was might even have been maybe it's a, a been a public failure. Everybody knows about it. Maybe you lost your temper. Maybe you said something that you shouldn't. Maybe you've made some bad financial decisions and everybody knows it. Maybe you lied. Blew it. Maybe you hurt somebody close to you and you really messed up that relationship. Maybe maybe you, you, you've been battling addiction and or maybe maybe you betrayed your family. Maybe you crushed those that you love or, or maybe you have a private failure, a secret addiction that nobody knows about. But it's consuming. you. Maybe it's what you did, what you said, what you didn't say. Maybe you haven't even been caught yet, but it weighs on you daily. When Peter denied Jesus, what did Peter say to him after the resurrection? That was my question. Did Jesus say, you blew it. Like, I can never trust you, much less ever use you. Gosh darn it, Peter. No, that's, that's not what Jesus said to Peter. No, no, Jesus loved Peter. Jesus forgave Peter. And you know what? He actually used Peter to, to reach countless people after this happened. In fact, God chose Peter to preach at Pentecost, and he boldly proclaimed. We see this in Acts chapter 2. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Who better to preach about forgiveness than the one who had been forgiven of much? I want to tell you today, God uses people who fail. He uses them. And you may have seen this online. I wanted to pull this up because this, some of us need a reminder of this today. This is the kind of people that God used. Put that up. You, you, got, you got, Jacob was a cheater. You ever seen this? But you need to be reminded of this so you know. Jacob was a cheater. Moses was a murderer. David had an affair. Jonah, was, he ran from God and got swallowed by a whale. Elijah was depressed. Depressed. Won his greatest victory. Went to a massive depression in the same day. Miriam was a gossiper. So there's hope for all of you. I'm just going to look this way. I'm just going to let that sit in for a minute. Martha was a worrier. 
Thomas was a doubter. We learned about that. Paul killed Christians, slaughtered them because of them believing in Jesus. And then God knocked him off his donkey, radically saved him. And he was like, why are you persecuting me? He's like, what are you talking about, God? He's like, every Christian you kill, those are my followers. Those, those are mine. Why are you doing it? And he changed. But, but God used Paul to write like most of the New Testament, like Paul killed Christians. Noah was drunk. So all you drunkards, God can still use you. Maybe we need to put it down. Don't put it in your H-E-B shopping cart. Like this, this is real message. This isn't joke. Like maybe I'm just going to look this way today because y'all can talk behind my back. Maybe you don't need to put it in your cart because you've seen it only destroy your family, but you find yourself reverting back to it. Maybe you need to get out of it. You're thirsty and you're drinking something that you cannot be fulfilled with. And it numbs the pain for a moment, but that's all it does is for a moment. But Jesus, I remember when he was sitting at the well with this young lady and he says, drink from the well that I will give you this water that will that you'll never thirst again. And I, I'm not looking at anybody. I, nobody sent me emails like my wife must have emailed you. No, I don't read those. I don't I don't look at all your your stuff on. I wanted to say another word on social media. I don't know. Be like, well, people tell you, no, I just ask God. And right now, this is for somebody. It's time to put it down. Stop pretending like you're still at work and you're going to the bar before you get home thinking you're telling your wife that you were just late at work and you had more job to do, but you really went to the bar before you came home. Put it down. Throw it away. Whatever this is for you, maybe it ain't alcohol. Maybe it's looking at porn online. It's destroying your marriage. I don't know who this is for today, and this ain't in my notes one bit, but this is for somebody. It's destroying your life. You may not see it right now, but it's killing you on the inside. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And although, again, it feels good for a moment, does it feel good when you're done? When you wake up the next day and you're sleeping next to somebody, you don't even know their first name. Does it feel good when you go to work and you lied to your boss saying you were there and you weren't really there? Does it feel good when you've been texting other people on Snapchat that's not your wife sending inappropriate things you shouldn't be saying? I'm coming for all your lives today. God says I've got so much more. And here's the thing, he can still use you. That he's not done with. God used all those people and the list could go on. I, I can make it probably hundreds of people long that God used. God uses sinners. He uses jacked up, messed up, all tore up, rough, all around the edges. People, you and me alike. And God wants to use you. In fact, I want to challenge you to let God use you. Don't let your insecurities overwhelm you like, well, what am I going to? I don't know enough. Who cares? You don't need to know everything. I don't know everything. You're not.
not going to. I don't want to know the person that memorized the Bible from front to cover. I can find one person that knows the writer, doesn't just know what was written. And they can know one verse that they live their whole life by, and they can be more spiritual than the person who can read it on the, off the back of their head, the entire word of God. Because you can know it and not know it. You can know what was written, but not know the writer. Maybe God's calling you to, to, to do something in your church. Maybe he's calling you to do something in your family. Maybe he wants to use you in your job or, or in your school. And I believe that God probably right now is speaking to you about all the areas that he wants to use you, that you need to allow him to use you in right now. And I tell you, if you're not serving on a team at church, using the gift that God gave you, understand that gift was not for you. That gift was to glorify Christ and to edify and build up his church. It was not for you. You do it to make money, but God said, do it to build the kingdom. You need to make money. Go do that craft. Go, go do your skill. But you do that and use that to build up the, the, the body of Christ. You use that to build up the church. God gave it to you to use for him to glorify his name. So maybe you're not serving in church. Start serving today. Go to growth track. Find a staff member with one of the badges. Turn around. Look, stand up, stand up, turn around. Look at that little white tag. Talk to that man. Pastor Jared Ayers. If you're not leading in your family, start leading. Dads, start leading. Your kids need to see you worshiping God, seeking the face of God, reading his Bible. Your kids need to see you on your face before your heavenly father. Because if that's how you go to your father, Imagine what they're going to see and imitate when they come to you. If they never see you going to him, why do you think they're ever going to come to you? Oh, that's going to preach to somebody. Maybe you need to start leading in your family. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you're not trusting God with your finances, maybe you need to start tithing. You can try it on your own. It's like having pockets with holes in them. Trust God. You'll trust him in this. Trust him in that. Maybe, maybe if you're not using your gifts to build up and use them for Christ, start today, whatever that is. And I'll say this. If you feel insecure, join the club. Join the club. And I'll say this. Feeling insecure isn't the problem. You're like, well, I thought that was the problem. No, no, no. Feeling insecure is not the problem. It's believing what you say about yourself when you're feeling insecure. That's the problem. God can use you, all of you, if you give him the reins. And that's the key. It's complete surrender. It's trusting in a God who you don't know what his next move is going to be. And you don't know what his next move for you is going to be. And I want to tell some of you today that with every eye closed in this room, every head bowed, that you are not what you did. You are not what they did to you. You're not what they said about you either. And you're not what you think about you. I want to say this as clear as I can. You are who God says you are. My kid came home the other day and he was like, they said this. I said, but do you believe that? 
Well, no. I said, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they said about you. It doesn't matter what name they called you. It doesn't matter. I know it hurts, but, but do you believe it? No, I don't believe it. What do you believe? I believe what God said. Okay, then believe that. Believe what God says about you. You are who God says about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of Christ. That you are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. That he formed you in your mother's womb. That he recorded every day of your life before it was ever even lived. That he knows every hair on your head. He knows you by name. That you are an heir, the Bible says, of the most high God. You're a citizen of heaven. And it's time to embrace that. God often uses the unlikely. God often uses the insecure. And God often uses the failures. And he's calling out to some of you today. And today is your day to make that fresh start in Jesus. Maybe you've allowed your insecurities to get the best of you. Maybe you've been coming to church and this is still a new experience, and you're like, I just needed to come check this out a little bit more. But I'm hearing about a God who has a plan for me, and he can use me even in my faults and failures. He, he doesn't want to leave you where you are. I'll tell you that. Well, well I'm not good enough. I, I can't accept Christ yet. My life is a mess. No, no, no. You don't get your life right to get God. If that was the case, none of us would be, be able to do that. No, you get God. You receive the free gift of salvation Grace and mercy every single day is renewed. The hope that is found in his salvation, you receive that today and every single day after that becomes a step of what the word calls sanctification. That where day by day you're being renewed and transformed. You don't become this perfect person the day you pray this prayer because they're just words. No, you become who God calls you to be as you every day take one step and put one foot in front of the other. Following Jesus, becoming more like Christ, the Bible says. And so if that's you today, you say, Pastor, I want to make a fresh start. I messed up. I'm a mess. But I want, I want God to do what you said earlier, where, where you want God to be and use this masterpiece, and use this mess to be for his message. If that's you today. Say, I want to accept Jesus today. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm going to count down from three. And all I want you to do is slip up your hands so I know who I'm praying with today. We're going to pray a simple prayer together. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he is Lord. It says that you shall be saved. The Bible also says that if we call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And that's what we're going to do in a prayer. So if you want to accept him today, I want to give Jesus the reins of my life tried it on my own and it's not working out. I want him to use me. I, I, want, I want a fresh start. I want him to wash away my sins because that's what he died on a cross for. That's what he shed his blood for was to die for your sins so you can live life to the full. The enemy wants to steal that from you and he'll do anything he can and he'll wrap you up in any sin that he can. But Jesus came that you can be free today, that that bondage can fall off of you. You don't no longer have to walk in that shame and embarrassment and guilt. You can walk in the, in the righteousness of God. That's you today. You say, I want Jesus in my life. I want you to lift up your hand. Three, two, one. Just lift them up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Thank you, Jesus. Lift them up. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Lift them high. Just lift them high. Unashamed. Thank you, Jesus. I see you all the way down from the front to the back. I see you. 
I see you. Right here in the middle, I see you. I see you all the way up there. I see you. And God sees you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. I want us together now to pray this prayer. I want us to say out loud where our ears can hear us. Boldly say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live a new life in you. God, I accept you as Lord and leader of my life. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. And today I ask that you would forgive me of all my sin and help me live a new life in you. I accept you as Lord and Savior. Wash me clean in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every single person. Amen, amen.